you guys are dismissed too. If you guys could head back to the back corner there and head out with, with Nate across the street. Anybody else this morning not realize they needed that time as much as you did? <laughs> um, man, you know, I think sometimes when our souls get dry um, and we hear the truth about who God is and it just resonates with our soul of just like, man, just reminding us again of um, just our need for his grace and his love for us and commitment to us and all those things. And um, so I'm grateful for um, this church community and the opportunity to come and, and sing together. Um, as I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago, if you happen to be here, um, I'm kind of in a, a season of life where um, I feel like I'm kind of at the end of myself a little bit. Um, I'm kind of in the, right in the middle, it's kind of hard to imagine, of my cross-country season. I'm only halfway through um, the meet schedule um, that seems to just kind of be dragging on. I, um, last two weekends, we've been on travel meets out of town, so I got back from Fayetteville, Arkansas at like 8.30 last night. Um, I'm just exhausted, to be honest with you. And usually when I kind of get to this place of, of being just a little bit tired, um, it shows itself mostly in my life in, in a kind of an inability to connect emotionally with people uh, when I get worn out. So I just don't feel like I have the capacity. And this happens most falls um, to me, and it can be a little bit unnerving um, for me because most of the time, uh, I honestly kind of live life from a little bit of a place of self-sufficiency, if I'm honest. I tend to think that I've got the gifts and abilities to kind of handle life on my own um, for the most part. Um, and without being overly dependent on God. So just being honest with you guys, it's a struggle for me. So it's a very vulnerable place for me to get to a place in my life where I feel like I can't really handle things in my own strength. Um, and there's this piece of me that um, just doesn't like to be that needy, honestly, um, that desperate um, for God to show up and to fill me because I've got nothing left to give. So it's probably no surprise that most of you that have been Christians for a while, you're probably thinking, well, duh, Bob, that's where God wants us to always be, right? Is dependent on him and, and with this posture of needing him. Um, but I'm pretty sure that God is allowing me right now to not be okay on my own. Um, I think he's even orchestrating events to show my inability to thrive without him. Um, and it reminds me, honestly, a lot. It connects a lot to the story we've been talking about last week and we'll continue on this week of a guy named Jacob um, that Justin introduced us to last week. Um, we've been working through this sermon series um, called God a Stranger now for a few weeks. And the overarching question we've been asking during this time is what happens when God shows up in our life and seems like a stranger? Maybe seems like he's against us. Um, or, you know, he just shows up in ways that we wouldn't expect, saying and doing things that don't seem to jive with who we thought God was, or maybe he seems silent or absent from our cries for help. And so how do we navigate life in those times, or even how do we explain to others what, what's, what God's doing in our life, what God might be doing in their life, and we're not even sure who he is and what he's doing in our own, when God isn't simply the puppet we'd like him to be following our script for how we'd like our life to go. 
So last week we began looking at the story of a man named Jacob. So if you're not that familiar with the biblical story, a few weeks ago we talked about a guy named Abraham. He was kind of the father of the nation of Israel, and God said that through him um, that all the nations were going to be blessed. And he didn't have any kids, and so God provided him and his wife Sarah with a son, um, Isaac. And then Isaac, uh, today um, we started talking about his two sons, Jacob um, and Esau. And so Jacob was a twin he was the younger of two sons. The older brother um, was Esau. And scripture says that Jacob came out of the womb grasping his brother's heel, which is where he gets the name Jacob. And so, um, and it really was kind of a foreshadowing to this reality that Jacob was going to be grasping for his identity throughout his life and trying to pull all kinds of strings in order to do it. So in the culture of Jacob's day, the older son was the one that got the majority of the inheritance and the blessing of the father. And so to Jacob, that seemed really unacceptable. I mean, he just missed out on it by, you know, a couple minutes. So that was a hard pill for him to swallow. And he also saw his father's favoritism towards his brother Esau. And that kind of aided him as well. And so he conspires with his mother, Rachel, to steal the blessing and the birthright of Esau. And they succeed in pulling it off. And the lies and deception get Jacob what he thinks he needs in the moment to be okay. But as most things where we're lying and deceiving, the, the things kind of catch up with us. And there's some consequences to his actions. So we're going to find that out today. So here was the tension that existed in Jacob's young mind. Was that, you see, God was looking at the long-term um, phase of his life or the plans for his life. And he knew... Ultimately, that one day the Savior of the world, Christ, was going to come through Jacob's line. And so he knows that, man, the blessing through your family is going to be more than you could ever imagine. While Jacob's focus, like a lot of us, was just what can I get right now to bring me some comfort, to make me feel okay? And I can relate to that struggle. So when Jacob conspires to gain what isn't his through lies and deception, he's forced to flee as a refugee to a strange land because his brother Esau is pretty angry and out to get him. So that's kind of where the story is as we start today. We're going to open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. If you can go ahead and turn there, it's page 25 in your pew Bibles. Genesis 28, we're going to start in verse 10. says this, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which they saw a stairway, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God, your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. 
If you guys can only know what goes through my mind sometimes when I read things out loud to you, while I was reading that about this ladder going up to heaven, I started thinking of the song Jacob's Ladder by Huey Lewis in the news. So, you know, couldn't get it out of my mind. So if you don't know what it is, go check it out. It's good stuff. So anyways, so in this place of exile from his family and, and his estrangement, kind of he feels from God because of the lies and the deceit he's been living in, the Lord meets Jacob in this dream and responds with this really gracious um, blessing of Jacob far beyond what he deserves. And, and as an outsider looking in on this story, I'm a little bit put off by the way God treats Jacob here. I mean, shouldn't he be punishing Jacob for the way that he's betrayed his family? I mean, this guy has done nothing but lie and cheat and conspire and God's just going to open the floodgates of blessing here for Jacob? It doesn't seem fair. And if I were Jacob in the story, I'd be thinking, man, this is working out awesome, right? I did all this stuff, and God's going to bless me anyways. But why is it that we can be offended when God seems to be ex uh, exceptionally gracious to someone we think ought to be getting punished? You ever felt like that? And just when we think God might finally bring the hammer on this guy... He goes and does this. And it reminds me a couple of, uh, of verses that are, that are true for all of us. One of them is in Romans 2, 4. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And then in Psalm 103, just expressing the character and the nature of God, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And so on the outside, we can look in on a situation or a person and be like, man, how are they, shouldn't they be getting punished here or hammered or, you know? But we also know in our own life that we want that graciousness, right? And, and often it's the kindness and the compassion of God that leads us to repentance. And so God is is wooing Jacob a little bit here, right? He's like, I know you should think you, you should be getting this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this instead and, and see if we can turn your heart back to me. So God speaks to Jacob as a son despite his sin, and he takes Jacob in as a stranger, and he lavishes on him this hospitality. And God's apparent punishments don't always seem fair to us, but either do his blessings sometimes. But his ways are not our ways. And so we have to keep in mind that God sees the entirety of Jacob's story, okay? And there's still a long journey before a lot of these promises that he's given him are going to be fulfilled. So one little side question that I have as I was looking through this story was wondering if there was ever a point in Isaac's life when he sat his boys down, Jacob and Esau, and told them, hey, told them about the blessing that God had given their grandpa, Abraham. And all the promises that were going to be true for their family. I wonder if he ever did that or if he was so blinded by his favoritism towards Esau that he just never had that conversation. Because I wonder if he had, would Jacob be working so hard to make sure he wasn't left out? What lesson is there in that for us parents? Those of you that are parents... What lesson is there in that? Because the reality is, is the guys, our children, 
You know, if, if they are followers of Christ, they have some unbelievable promises for them and for their future and, and eternity as well. And so what, what reminder is that for us as parents? Yeah, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. What does that process look like in your family, Phil? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he just talked about the importance of remembering and not, you know, scratching and clawing for the things of this world that we know we watch our kids do sometimes and we're like those aren't going to get you what you think they're going to get like how many times have you sat down with your child and been like i know you think this is going to make you happy but it's not going to <laughs> um, but then as parents we do the exact same thing right and so then it's like kids are like hold a mirror up to you mom and dad right why are you clawing and you know for your job or your career or whatever it is that you're doing trying to get a bigger house or whatever it might be Okay, so as parents, we have this amazing responsibility, too, to not only tell our children and teach them, right, where they're going to find their true joy and happiness and satisfaction, but also to model it <laughs> so that they're not watching us trying to do those things as well. It's hard enough to believe it just in hearing the word, but then without the model, it's, it's tough as well. So after the dream, Jacob continues his journey to a foreign land. As the story goes on, he, he winds up in this place where he meets this guy named Laban. Laban has two daughters, and Jacob really wants to marry the younger daughter, Rachel. She's beautiful. And so the guy's like, well, you need to work for me for seven years, and then I'll give you this woman. Okay? Um, so he does. He works for seven years. It's the wedding day. And the father, Laban, um, gets Jacob drunk and then switches the daughters. Um, and so he wakes up the next morning with the older daughter, Leah. And so this guy who had been the deceiver all along gets deceived. The table's turned on him. Okay, so he wakes up with the older daughter, and now the dad comes back in and says, well, now I want you to work for seven more years, and I'll give you Rachel, the one that you love. And so he does it. And, um, and then as we see those two wives now, um, we see this pattern of favoritism playing out again, because just like... Um, Jacob was the favorite of his mother. Now he has this favorite wife. Um, and there becomes this, this sibling feud between Leah and Rachel to see who can produce the most children to make Jacob happy. Just like Esau and Jacob competed for their father's attention as well. So after 20 years and lots of kids um, and Jacob's influence grows, he's got all this livestock, his wealth is, is accumulating. God calls him to go back to the land to confront his past and try to make amends with his brother Esau. And make no mistake, Jacob's not excited about this homecoming trip, okay? He's, he's scared to death that Esau is going to kill him and his family, but he goes. Um, Jacob realizes also that he's got no more tricks up his sleeve, like he's just got to come and just deal with what he's done. He's kind of at the end of his cunning and manipulation, and it leads him to utter a prayer uh, in desperation. So I want you to take a look at that in chapter 32 of Genesis. If you could turn over just a couple pages there. Genesis 32. 
starting in verse 9. So Jacob is heading towards this, this meeting with Esau. He hasn't seen him in, in 20 plus years. It says, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps, meaning he's got two wives and, and families. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come back and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So this prayer seems different. What do you notice about Jacob's posture as he prays? When you look at what he prays, what do you see in there that seems like this change of heart in him? I can't hear. Who said that? Woodland, what did you say? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What else? What do you see in his tone there, his posture? Yeah, Steve? Some humility, right? Where do you see it? Like, yeah, he's saying what I don't deserve. You've given me things that I don't deserve. He acknowledges that, okay? What else? Anything else? Nope, that's it. It's all we got, Bob. Okay. I'll let you off the hook. So, yes, we see a, a humility. We also see just a sense of repentance on his heart, um, an acknowledgement of God's graciousness, okay? And <clears throat> so you can imagine what Jacob is going through here, right? We've all had that feeling like in the pit of our stomach when we have to go back to somebody that we know that we've wronged. And we have to apologize, and we're not sure how they're going to receive it, right? Y'all know that feeling, right? It's horrible, right? And you're nervous because <laughs> uh, you know that they have every right to be upset with you, right? And so Jacob needed some time alone to kind of collect his thoughts before this big day. So he sent his family across to one side of the stream, and he came back across to the other side. Um, and what happens next <laughs> is one of the most interesting scenes um, in the Bible, um, so we're going to take a look at chapter 32. This is going to be uh, starting in verse 24. It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, oh, sorry, yeah, let's stop it. Oh, yeah. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. So, I have no clue what's going on here at this point, right? God decides that he needs to show up in a unitard and go a few rounds with Jacob, okay? And the only image I could think of in my mind of what that scene might look like was something like this. <laughs> right? God comes flying out of the trees, Nacho Libre, Right, ready to go, ready to pounce on Jacob, okay? You better take that down or else nobody's going to hear what I'm going to say <laughs> from here forward, okay? But then it seems like in the story that God can't overpower this guy, 
And so he kind of sucker punches Jacob in the hip to cripple him a little bit, okay? So you want to talk about God showing up as a stranger, okay? This is a bizarre story. I mean, I don't think that any of us saw the WWF version of God showing up to do battle here in this story, okay? When Jacob is in the midst of this wrestling match and he's holding on for dear life and he knows that he's wrestling with God and he says, I'm not going to let go until you promise me that like what I'm about to face tomorrow is going to turn out okay. When Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Why do you think God asks him what his name is? I mean, he knows what his name is. Why does he ask him? What is he trying to get out of this encounter? Okay, I'm giving you guys an opportunity to come through here for me. Nick, you got something? Reminding him of what? Okay, good. All right, we're getting there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we've already seen the wrestling of him trying to steal his brother's birthright and and not being comfortable with the fact that he was kind of this this second son, you know, and so he's fighting and grasping for something and 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 the way that he tried to go about it was being a deceiver. And so I think a lot of what she said there in terms of God really wanting him to own the fact that this is who you've been. You've been this liar and this deceiver, this grasper, right? Now look at what God does in verse 28. It says, then the man said, God, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So God gives him a new name and a new identity. Okay, just like he does with every one of us when we come to Christ. We become a follower of Christ. Scripture tells us that we are born again. We become a new creation. That we were once enemies and strangers of God. But now our name will be son and daughter. Right? We've been adopted into a new family. Our birth certificate has a, a new father listed on the dad line. Let's look at verse 29. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So this, this story is curious. If Jacob knows it's God, why does he ask him his name? Well, I think it's because God showed up in a way that Jacob didn't expect. Right? And it, it, we've talked about a couple times of that encounter that Paul had, right, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where Paul thought he had known God his whole life thought he was on God's side and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up in a way and confronts Paul and then he, he realizes I've never really known God and he says who are you Lord and, and we have those moments sometimes in our own life just like Jacob Jacob says who is this God who wrestles me in the woods and lets me win and changes my name and wrenches my hip who is that God Let's finish up this account. The last two verses here, verse 30 and 31, it says this. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. 
the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. So at that point in biblical history, God had said that you cannot look on me face to face and live. And so Jacob knows that God has spared his life. It's like when you're uh, a boy, a young boy, and you're wrestling with your dad, and he, the dad lets you, you know, pin him to the ground. But then as you get older, you start to realize, well, dad could probably beat me if he wants to, <laughs> right? He could destroy me at this moment, but he's letting me win, okay? But this encounter wasn't all good for Jacob. He was going to walk around with a limp the rest of his life. This, this reminder of this encounter that he had with God. And I love this quote by, by Krishkandaya, the book we've been kind of looking through uh, along this series. It says, this is a God who fights, who wounds, who lets us win sometimes, who helps us understand who we really are and who we should be, who cares about our lives as a whole, not just as a series of crises, and who sees how our lives fit together with those around us. So if we read on into chapter 33, we see that Esau actually receives Jacob with gladness. It's kind of this, um, you know, father and prodigal son uh, image coming to mind again. He's forgiven and he's welcomed home. Now let me ask you this question is, did Jacob get what he prayed for? Did Jacob get what he prayed for? Remember in chapter 32, uh, he prayed that God would save him from the hand of Esau. Okay? Then in verse 26, he asked God to bless him. So were his prayers answered? Well, in a way, yes. But certainly not the way in which Jacob would have liked his prayers to be answered. Okay? But the way God needed to answer it for Jacob to become the man that God needed him to be. He asked for salvation, and he got suffering. And it can be difficult, this quote I came across this week, in, in the dark times of our lives to see how the threads of our lives will be resolved. And Jacob's story is a testament to this truth. Even though he was unfaithful to God, God was faithful. And it was this long story of him trying to find a wife and working for 14 years for that to happen, there was wrestling and repentance and a wound left in the midst of the blessing. And all along, God knew the end result that he was aiming for with Jacob's life. And the processes and uh, circumstances might be different for all of us, but I've seen in my own life that, that any time that I've had a, a season or a experience of kind of being blessed, it's usually come on the heels of my pride being knocked down a notch. And, you know, it, being in leadership is difficult. And, you know, whether it's in ministry or coaching, there's definitely been people over the course of my, you know, 20, 25 years of leading where people have been rubbed wrong by me. And I would say in a lot of those situations initially, I would probably blame the other people for the friction, only in hindsight to really realize that it was mostly my pride that was the problem. I had to learn some tough lessons along the way. I had to receive some wounds in the process, honestly, to emerge on the other side a better and a more humble leader. 
And pride might not feel like your struggle, though I would say that pride is at the root of every sin. Um, some of you guys maybe struggle with control. Any control freaks out there? Come on. Yeah, I see your hands, right? Um, and maybe you've been in situations where you've tried to control circumstances or controlled people. And maybe only after coming to the end of your manipulating where it became obvious that you were not going to get your way in that situation, were you willing to surrender to God's plan in your life? And you probably have some scars from trying to grip the reins tightly of that person or that situation. Or maybe you've been, maybe you're a people pleaser, right? Who do we have out there? Yeah, right? The people pleasers out there. And, and you've been in situations maybe where you have tried to appease everyone around you to get this certain result only to find out that it's just not going to work. <laughs> There's somebody's not happy with you. And that felt like death at the time to you. And maybe the wounds of a fractured relationship still haunt you. But God needed you to get to the end of yourself for you to realize that it's better to please God than man. I love this quote by Miguel Descada. He is a um, Nicaraguan Christian leader. He said this. He argues that not only do our wounds catch the attention of the world, they actually authenticate our message. He says, we preach the message of our Lord, but the people want credentials. Where are our wounds? What are we suffering? Just as Jesus showed his disciples the scars in his hands to help them believe, so our tough stories, even our wounds, can both be and bring good news. It's kind of this idea that if we don't have some wounds in our life, some scars, then are we really engaging with God? Are we really wrestling with him over some things? What a great reminder God has for us in Hosea 6.1. Check this verse out. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. You want to talk about a strange character description for God. So often people see just one side of God's nature. He's either the punisher or the healer. He's either the good guy or the bad guy. But in reality, the scripture tells us he both gives and takes away. But it's always for our good. He can use it for our good. It might not seem like it in the moment. But God is always looking at the long arc of our life. And he's always trying to do what's best for us eternally. Okay? So what are we wrestling with right now? Is it something about ourselves, our nature, our character that God's trying to change? Is it our circumstances possibly? What are we asking God to do about it? In the midst of that prayer and wrestling, does God seem like a stranger? Is he silent maybe? Or might in fact he be sending a person or more circumstances that could contain some answers even though they're not exactly what we're asking for? As we head into this communion time, this, this time of communion, honestly, is also another wrestling moment for us. Because we're confronted in communion with Christ's example, right? The goal of his ministry was to go to the cross to die, to, to self-sacrifice his life so that others might live. 
And so when he invites us to the table, he, he challenges us with the very same thing. For us to come and receive this wholeheartedly and with gladness is for us to say, I'm willing to lay down my life too. I'm willing to sacrifice so that others might live. And there should be this wrestling that goes on in our hearts to say, is that really my intention? Is that really what my life is speaking right now? One of other-centeredness. One of dying to the things that I feel like I need in this life so that I can see the eternal perspective of what's important in the people around me and how they need to see Christ in me. So I encourage you to wrestle as we pray. <laughs> and honestly, I want to encourage you with this. If you don't feel like you can come with that heart today, then just stay in your seat. It's okay. God might still be working something out in you. And, um, you know, maybe you just need to reflect for a while. And, and maybe come to the place where Jacob had to come, where he had to acknowledge and see God's blessing and humbly come um, repentant before him, before he felt comfortable stepping into that promise that he had for him. So we're going to take some time to just be quiet. There's going to be a, a, a quote up on the screen that I'm going to let you look at a little bit. The ushers will dismiss you. You can come and grab a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. And if you're gluten-free, that'll be down on the far side here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Um, again, you know, another instance where you kind of show up in scripture in a, just a really strange and odd way that nobody saw coming. And you have conversation that, that stretches us. Um, and we see the graciousness of you extending kindness to someone that it doesn't look like deserves it. Lord, knowing that, that we didn't deserve it either. That while we were still sinners, still enemies, still far from you, you died for us so that we might live. And so, God, none of us are worthy. And so keep us from comparing and judging other people's worthiness um, when Scripture tells us that, that all of us have fallen short. And God, as we come to the table today, um, help us to wrestle with what this really means. What is, what is our participation in this saying about who we are, about our identity, about the life you've called us to live? And is it truly our heart's desire to be who you've asked us to be, which is a reflection of your son who came to lay down his life so that others might know you and live? And God, I pray that we would, we would only come if that's truly our desire.